Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Doug Ford wins a second majority government in Ontario. Thank you for your trust and thank you for once again putting your confidence in me. It's, it's a responsibility that I will never take lightly. But most importantly, thank you for sharing in a vision for our great province. Former Finance Minister Bill Morneau warns Canada could pay a big price if the Liberals don't focus on sustained economic growth. So much time and effort was spent on finding ways to redistribute Canada's wealth that there was little attention given to the importance of increasing our collective prosperity. And the federal government signs a historic land claim settlement in Alberta. Having uh, undone a little bit of the broken trust of many years of recognizing the harm that we did generations ago, but understanding as well that as large as the settlement is, it can't undo the loss, the trauma, the intergenerational impacts of uh, what was done by Canada. It's Friday, June 3rd. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Joanna Smith, the Ottawa Bureau Chief for the Canadian Press. Good morning, Joanna. Good morning, Mark. So Doug Ford has won a second consecutive majority government in Ontario uh, for the Progressive Conservatives, and it's an even bigger majority than the first time around. And I know uh, that there's obviously a lot to dissect there from the perspective of Ontario politics, but even for federal politics, even for conservatism in Canada, what do you think this means? Doug Ford spoke last night uh, with a very inclusive tone in his victory speech, and I think a lot of people were observing that and and suggesting that that federal conservative leadership candidates and federal conservative MPs should be should be listening to that. What do you think? I think one of the things that was interesting about this campaign was that Ford took a slightly more straightforward and less buzzy approach to campaigning this time around, um, you know, focusing on staying the course, his message about, you know, let's, let's just get it done, focusing on building infrastructure, rather than these sort of buck beer promises that defined his campaign in 2018. I mean, that was obviously a successful campaign. He, he won a supermajority. But but I think this time around, we saw the campaign of an incumbent government that has been through a lot over the past few years, um, come through the pandemic, received very heavy criticism for how they handled it, but I think sort of recognized that uh, these flashy sort of combative Things are not necessarily the way to go. Um, I don't want to suggest that Doug Ford's not a combative, flashy person. He still is. Um, but it was just a very different tone. So I think it remains to be seen how the federal conservative leadership race will be shaped by that. Um, we are we are seeing, as we've discussed before, lots of personal attacks and, and uh, lots of things like that. You know, the Pierre Polyev campaign in particular has been you know, making promises that I think a lot of people are uncomfortable with in terms of, you know, saying that he would fire the governor of the Bank of Canada. Um, so so I think there's there's a few lessons here, potentially. One is that a, a slightly more um, pulled-back approach could work, but also I think one that, that absolutely conservatism is nowhere near dead, um, and, and there's lots of people who voted for the progressive conservatives more than last time around. Um, and I think, uh, you know, but there's also a lesson here in terms of, 
some of what we've seen, not everywhere, but uh, throughout the pandemic, is that incumbent governments are getting are getting reelected. That perhaps yeah. there's some sort of uh, feeling that people don't necessarily want a whole lot of change. Um, of course, I think it also has something to do with the with the options that were available in the Ontario election. Andrea Horvath, I mean, this was her fourth election as NDP leader. I think people sort of knew everything they, they needed to know about her um, and, and made their choice again. And, and they did secure official opposition again, but they lost some seats and she stepped down. And then on the flip side, the Liberal leader, Del Duca, he, um, you know, became Ontario Liberal leader just a few days before the pandemic and I think really struggled to have people know anything more about him than what they knew already was that he was a, a cabinet minister in the Wynn government that I think people are clearly still... Uh, not not willing to get past. So um, so yeah, there's all sorts of yeah. uh, things that we can draw on there. Yeah, and and I think it's important to make a distinction that that Doug Ford was running in a general election campaign, and the current uh, group of conservative leadership candidates federally are running for the leadership of the party. So they're going after a different group of voters uh, than exactly than, really yeah. invested voters who are obviously very partisan that is why they're members of that party and and so it's a it's a classic sort of thing that that a leadership candidate will appeal to a to a certain base but there's always a question then about whether the message they give to that highly partisan base um will change or will resonate with the general electorate and and i think there's a lesson in 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 how aaron o'toole ran the leadership race which he he sort of ran this true blue campaign and then when he became leader um he kind of flip-flopped frankly on a bunch of things and and left uh left many factions of the party disappointed with him yeah all right let's turn from that to uh, bill morneau and uh on wednesday morneau made some comments um about the current government's performance on on economic growth and yesterday the prime minister responded to those comments uh and uh, this is kind of interesting because because Bill Morneau, of course, was was a key figure in the Liberal government, and then things took a turn, and now he's back in the private sector. We haven't heard a lot from him, but one of the first times we do hear from him, it's critical of you know, the the government that he used to be a part of. That's right. This was really his first big speech since his resignation in the summer of 2020. And, and yeah, he definitely criticized the government. In particular, he said, for not doing enough to spur economic growth. He says there's no real sense of urgency with the Liberals. And, and he sort of didn't distance himself from them in, in the fact that he said it was all their fault. He, he said he was sort of talking about his own struggles when he was a cabinet minister, a central cabinet minister, as finance minister within that government. And he said, I struggled to get our government to focus on the need for sustained economic growth because it was constantly crowded out by other things that seemed more politically urgent, even if they weren't truly as important. Um, he really took issue with the way he said that the Liberals let politics get in the way of progress on issues like pharmacare. Um, and, you know, we some of this tension um, is, is not new, and this is something that has sort of bubbled to the surface uh, towards the end of his tenure as finance minister. Um, there was there was really, uh, you know, some stories that were coming out about how there was, there was a bit of a rift um, between Morneau and Trudeau, particularly over pandemic spending and the ambition of the pandemic recovery and, and the Trudeau government's desire to sort of link pandemic recovery spending to the environment um, and really thought there was 
not necessarily enough focus on competitiveness and, and economic growth. And, and that's something that he really talked about uh, this week. And, and one thing he, he had also said that he suggested that they, they handle pharmacare in a certain way and sort of filling the existing gaps. Um, and he says that he felt within cabinet there was a desire for more wholesale change. And, and he actually in his speech called it, quote, baffling that they are going through with dental care without getting pharmacare sorted out first. So it was it was uh, quite critical. Um, I think anyone who had any doubts about whether or not Trudeau and Morneau uh, were in fact not really getting along or seeing eye to eye, maybe is a better way to say it, towards the end of their partnership, I think he sort of proved, uh, proved those stories right. Hmm. All right, finally, uh, the federal government announced yesterday that it had signed a historic land claim settlement um, with an Alberta First Nation. It's in the south of Alberta, about 150 kilometers east of Calgary. It's $1.3 billion. So uh, tell us more about that. Sure. So this is compensation for when Canada broke its Blackfoot Treaty promise and took almost half of Siksika's First Nation reserve land including some of its agricultural lands, to sell the people who settled in the area. So, as you said, it provides $1.3 billion in compensation to the First Nation to resolve these outstanding land claims. That includes about uh, 46,000 hectares of the reserved lands and certain mineral rights that were taken by Canada. And Trudeau was there to announce it and, and really talked about framing this in terms of righting historic wrong, but also focusing on next steps. Um, such as policing, having to do with language, elders, and what the First Nation really needs to fully achieve its path forward. Um, and Chief Crowfoot uh, was there for the announcement, and, and he really made the point the settlement doesn't make up for past wrongs, but it will make a def- difference in people's lives. He, he actually said something really poignant, I thought, where he said Canada needs to stop using the word reconciliation. You will never reconcile you will never make it whole. Mm. But then he also says that he really sees them becoming a thriving nation. Um, and it was also interesting at one point during during his speech, uh, during the signing ceremony, the chief noted that he wasn't quite sure yet um, if he considered Trudeau to be a friend. Um, he said that Crown Indigenous Relations Minister Mark Miller has proven to be a friend of his uh, his people, um, but he says, you know, I've never met the Prime Minister before this, um, and so he sort of talked about the need to work on these relationships so that he can get to the point where he calls the Prime Minister a friend, um, and he said, I don't call him an enemy, so it was an interesting mm. uh, moment. Yeah, very much so. All right, Joanna, thank you so much for joining us today. Have a great weekend. Thank you. You too, Mark. That's Joanna Smith, the Ottawa Bureau Chief for the Canadian Press. So much time and effort was spent on finding ways to redistribute Canada's wealth that there was little attention given to the importance of increasing our collective prosperity. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In an editorial, the Toronto Sun considers Bill Morneau's comments about the Prime Minister's policies. The Sun writes... One of the realities of partisan politics is that politicians only say what they really think after they've left it. Such was the case on Wednesday when former federal finance minister Bill Morneau lowered the boom on the government's lack of focus on economic issues and how it is making Canadians poorer. 
Nothing Morneau said was groundbreaking, but the significance is that it was Justin Trudeau's former finance minister saying it. In the Toronto Star, Susan Delacourt considers the number of attack ads during the Ontario election campaign. Delacourt writes, If the Ontario election has struck you as a rather dreary exercise, it may not be your imagination. Advertising campaigns often set the tone for elections, and Ontarians were subject to a sustained exercise in negativity in the weeks leading up to Election Day. Where once parties used negative ads only at the end days of campaigns, they're now more willing to saturate the airwaves with negativity throughout. In the National Post, Jake Enright argues simply adhering to core beliefs won't unite federal conservatives. Enright writes... The rallying cry former Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole delivered to his caucus and senior leadership team almost every week was that his party needed to put the country first. At the time, I didn't fully appreciate why O'Toole kept saying this. Now I do. Despite having three leadership elections in seven years, and at a time when the party appears to be more fractured than ever, the core beliefs of the Conservative Party have never really been in question. But simply adhering to the core beliefs won't unite federal conservatives until we can agree on how to achieve a national coalition of people who share these beliefs. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister will meet with survivors and take part in a private ceremony for the third anniversary of the release of the final report from the National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls. He will also speak virtually at the Federation of Canadian Municipalities annual conference and trade show. Minister of Crown Indigenous Relations, Mark Miller. Indigenous Services Minister, Patty Haidu. And Justice Minister, David Lametti. will hold a news conference marking the first anniversary of the Federal Pathway and the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls, and 2SLGBTQQIA+, People National Action Plan. Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie will take part in an armchair discussion hosted by the Toronto Metropolitan University's Democracy Forum. Government officials will provide an update on COVID-19 and will also respond to other emerging public health concerns, including monkeypox. Mental Health and Addictions Minister Carolyn Bennett will be in Toronto to announce new funding for a national research initiative on substance abuse. In Shawinigan, Quebec... Innovation Minister François-Philippe Champagne will announce a federal investment as part of the third phase of the CanCode program. Minister of Employment Carla Qualtro will be in Montreal to highlight government investment in accessibility and disability inclusion. Transport Minister Omar Al-Gabra will make a funding announcement in Kleinberg, Ontario about rail safety improvement program projects. In Prince George, British Columbia, International Development Minister Harjit Sajjan will provide details on funding to strengthen the clean innovation ecosystem in northern B.C. And Rural Economic Development Minister Goody Hutchings will make an announcement in Miramichi, New Brunswick about improving high-speed internet access. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, June 3rd. Tune into Primetime Politics Weekend on CPAC for coverage of all the week's events. Our podcast returns Monday morning. Have a great weekend.